0: Good morning. Good morning. My name is Jamie Mays, and I will be reading the passage today, which is Psalm 51. Right. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities." Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with the willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in the right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and the whole burnt offerings the bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Morning, uh, Christ Central. Happy anniversary as I set up here. And um, I'm gonna pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love that never ceases. It never ceases to amaze me how you come through for us, how you are there for us, how you have mercy on us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be with your people today, that indeed you would be with your servant, that as I deliver your word, that you would be present in the preaching of it Without you, it's pointless. But you can do all things. It's in Jesus' precious name that I pray, amen. I'm gonna be preaching on repentance which might seem inappropriate on a on an anniversary. It, it's kind of tantamount to receiving a bottle of m- mouthwash on your birthday. It, but there is, there's no hidden agenda here. Uh, I was given permission to talk about repentance as part of your series uh, that you've been uh, doing on grace, being filled with God's grace. And we read from, and you heard read from uh, Psalm 51, which is a psalm of David of confession. And the superscription on Psalm 51 reads, to the choir master, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Can you imagine writing a confession of your deepest, darkest, most despicable thing that you have ever done and turning it into a song for the choir to sing? Uh, This is essentially what David did. Not only did David write this confession, but God inscripturated it into the Bible so that 2,500 years later what David did would be remembered. Why would God inspire the writing and the reading and even the singing of this confession? The answer is that so when we fall, and we will, we will know how to come back to God, And God has left us a guide on returning to him, and that guide is called repentance. Psalm 51 has become a source of encouragement for millions over the years. It's a psalm of hope. It's a psalm that should greatly encourage us because if David, King David, could fall into sin, any one of us could fall. A man after God's own heart David fell. And Psalm 51 teaches us that we can come back home to God, the God of grace, when we have blown up our lives. It is a psalm that shows us how to get back up because God enables us through repentance. And although repentance is at the heart of the gospel I'm afraid that there's a lot of misconceptions on what it means to repent some people see repentance as directed to those who are not believers they 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 see it as something you do at a crusade many remember the Billy Graham crusade when some of you may remember the Billy Graham crusade because I'm showing my age here uh, when they would have an altar called and people would come forward who wanted to be saved. Some people see that as repentance. Many of us believe that repentance is a kill joy, a depressing time for self-examination and introspection. But repentance is actually the gateway to great joy and hope. Some believe that you only repent when you're aware of your sin or when the sins are really gross and big, like in the case of David. But repentance is actually at the heart of the gospel, and it's important not only at the start of our Christian lives, but throughout our Christian lives. Repentance is the foundation of spiritual renewal. Jesus began his ministry with the words, "'Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand.'" Martin Luther, who composed the hymn that we sang earlier, Began his revolution with the words in the 99 thesis that began the first when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, he willed the entire life of the believer to be one of repentance. One of our best studies in the area of repentance comes from Psalm 51. And my hope is that this psalm will encourage us to learn how to repent. But before we can really understand Psalm 51, we need to understand the backstory. Some of us may know the backstory, some of us may not know it, but the story begins in the spring of the time when kings go off to war. And that's where David should have been. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David sees a beautiful woman. He inquires about who this is, and he finds out that it's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of David's mighty men. David sends for her. He commits adultery with her. Bathsheba sends word back to David sometime later that she is pregnant. David is in a bind. He sends for Uriah ostensibly for the purpose of getting information about the fighting men. But secretly, he's planning to get Uriah to come home so that he'll go to his wife and the child could be assumed to be Uriah's. But Uriah didn't go home, did he? David sends for him and asks, why didn't you go home? And Uriah did not think it was right for him to leave when his men were in camp, sitting out in the field, sleeping out in the field. David didn't think that, I mean, Uriah didn't think it right for him to enjoy his wife while his men were out in the field. So David's plan doesn't work. So David needs to go to plan B. So he sends for Uriah again. And he gets Uriah good and drunk, hoping that Uriah will go home. But Uriah has more integrity drunk than David does sober. So he needs to go to plan C. So... David sends Uriah back to the front line with a note from Joab, the commander. And the note said, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. Can you imagine carrying your own death note? He obviously didn't read it. And Joab follows his command and Uriah is killed, and David gets word, and David takes Bathsheba as his wife. And 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven says what must have, but be the most understated statement in scripture when it says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Well, months pass by, and David thinks that everything is okay. But one day, Nathan the prophet comes to David and gives him a story. He gives him the story about a man who has one little ewe lamb of sheep and a rich man next to him who has hundreds of sheep. And the rich man decides to have a banquet for a friend who comes. And instead of using one of his hundred sheep, he goes and he takes the one little ewe lamb. And he really rubs it, and he talks about the the fellow slept with his lamb, and he was just a pet to him, and he takes that one lamb, and he kills it, and he slaughters it, and he eats that, serves that to his guests. And David is enraged, and he says, the man who does this deserves to die. And what must be the most pointed sermon application in history, Nathan says, thou art the man and david is crushed david realized that he has done something incredibly terrible and he says i have sinned before the lord and it is out of this crushing acknowledgement that david sees his sin and he pens psalm 51 and although most of us have not blown up our lives like David, we are all prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. And Psalm 51 gives us a roadmap back home, how to return to God after we have blown it. What is repentance? Repentance. The answer, according to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, is that repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner, out of true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does, with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it with full purpose and endeavor to new obedience. And I've divided the message into two parts. I want to talk about the preliminary steps to repentance and then the actual steps to repentance. The preliminary steps to repentance are, you need to first see that you're a sinner. You need to see your sin. Now I know most of us know this, because we're in a PCA church, and, and, and even the as you baptize the young people here, they, they had to confess that they were sinners. First John one says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And although that we know that we are sinners because there is so much evidence of it, we tend to live in denial that we're sinners, don't we? We tend to excuse our sin, we tend to minimize our sin, we don't like to look at our sin. Sin is about what other people do to us. What do you do when you read Genesis 6-5 when it says that the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Do you go, well, that was back then. What do you think when you read Romans 3:12, when it says, "All have sinned and fall to short of the glory of God, and are worthless, and there's no one good, no, not even one." You think, "Well, this guy, well, that's an exaggeration, obviously." Why is it so hard for us to see our sin? I believe that we believe that we are more righteous than we actually are; that we're not really that bad. Have you ever looked in the mirror and and didn't see what was really in front of you? Have you ever looked at the mirror and and denied the truth? Uh, I, I do it every day when I when I look in the mirror. I, I don't see a 73-year-old man. I see someone about 50-ish, maybe, because I'm living in denial. I don't want to see what's there. Or you pass a a mirror in the mall, and you, you can well, that can't be me. Who is it? That's what we do with sin. Romans 1 tells us that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We actually hold it down. David had sinned through coveting, adultery, murder, cover-up, but he couldn't see it. It took Nathan, the prophet, coming to him. And Nathan didn't come directly because he knew that he would have been defensive. But Nathan comes with a story about somebody else in order for David to begin to see it. You know, I believe that we all need a Nathan in our lives. Do you have a Nathan in your life? Are you willing to listen to the Nathans in your life? Your best Nathan is generally your spouse and we generally don't want to hear it. It's so hard for us to hear what's going on with us. I can still remember coming from visiting my brother, and I was just being very critical of my brother. And I can remember sitting in that car, and I was being critical of my brother, and my wife just sat there. She didn't say a thing. And I knew what that meant. I kind of glanced over at her, And she was essentially saying, you do the same thing. Why? We don't like to look at our sin. We don't like to receive criticism. We can't hear it, we can't handle, we really literally can't handle the truth. The Word of God is the best indicator, but even when we read the Word of God, it's as if we look in a mirror And we walk away not seeing what's really there. And we need people to tell us. And we need to be convinced that you really do have sin in you. True repentance starts when we see and own up to our sin. When Nathan confronts David, he owns up. He says, I have sinned. David acknowledges that this was just no accident. But he acknowledges that I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceived me. And it wasn't that his mother was a sinner so much as he was conceived. And when he came into this world, he was conceived as a sinner. We're not sinners because we sin, but we sin because it's in our very nature. And sin affects every part of our being, our thinking, our emotions, our will. And this is what we mean by the doctrine of total depravity. And there are people who have left our church in Chattanooga because they say we just talk about sin too much. But until you acknowledge that you're a sinner, you're not going to appreciate Jesus. Eugene Peterson said, Only when I recognize and confess my sin am I in a position to recognize and respond to the God who saves from sin. If I'm ignorant of or indifferent to my sin, I'm ignorant of or indifferent to the great and central good news. Jesus saves. In the Christian life, our primary task isn't, sin avoidance, which is impossible, but to recognize sin. You cannot appreciate the good news of the gospel without knowing the bad news of sin. And you need to know that you are sick before you go to a doctor. Why would you go to a doctor unless you knew you were sick? But you will not go to the doctor unless you know the doctor Is safe and good and so the second preliminary step to repentance is knowing that the doctor is good knowing that God is gracious and forgiving and loving and that he will accept you because the truth is that until we know that we're not going to take our stuff our sin to God remember the prodigal he went home because he knew that his father was good, that the servants were treated better than he was being treated. David knew more than this, God existed. David didn't just understand God intellectually, but David knew God personally. And so he asked for mercy in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love and mercy. He knew that God could blot out his transgressions. He asked God to wash him thoroughly from his iniquity. He said, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. David knew that only God could create in him a new heart. And so he asked God to create in him a new heart. He knew that King Saul's the, the, the spirit of God had been taken away from him. And he said, don't take him from me. He knew the the, the manifestations of how God worked. He knew that there was joy. He wanted a restoration of the joy in the salvation that he had. And he knew that it was worthless to bring in sacrifices because he knew that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and are broken in a contrite heart. God will not despise. For us today, it is only when we know the God of the Bible who came in the person of Jesus Christ, only when we know that Jesus' blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, do we know that it is safe to come to God. And it's only when we know that we're sinners and we know that we can come to Jesus that we are ready to repent. And I want to give you, the, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna keep this simple. The four steps to repentance are seeing, confessing, hating, turning. Seeing your sin, confessing those sins, hating those sins, and turning from those sins. Do you see your sin? I talked about this already, how we don't want to see it. You need to see it. David saw it, and he he, he talks about it. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He uses the word transgressions, which means something wrong, something totally out. He talks about iniquity being twisted. That's a twisted thing, iniquity. And sin, just missing the mark. We're not able to meet God's standards. We fall short of the glory of God. We can't even do what we want to do. Paul talks about the fact that I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I do not want to do. Can you see your sin? Jerry Bridges in his book, Respectable Sins, talks about the fact that we don't always like some of our sins, some of our sins we call acceptable, or we kind of ignore them. Sins like worry, did you know that worry is a sin? How about anxiety? Any anxious people uh, in here? Frustration when that person cuts you off in traffic? Discontent? Are you happy with your life? Even when it doesn't go the way that you think it ought to go? Mm, mm, mm. Complaining. Anybody complain? Mm. We don't think of those as sin. Sin. You know, we just kind of think of the gross stuff, the stuff that David did, that's a sin. But my complaint, just a little murmuring here, just just a little whining, that that, that's not really sin. Uh, How how about impatience? Woo! That's a hard one. Oh my gosh, is that a hard one? Especially when those people don't get out of that line fast enough, move, move. I may be old, but I move fast. (laughs) Man, it's so hard. To see these things as, 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 as sin. You know, we just think of the gross stuff. And it's so hard when somebody points them out to us. You know, I, I, I've, I've, I've gritted my teeth about this. i said, you know, I've just got to learn that when Shirley tells me something to listen. But I push back. I push back. And I say, Lord, help me not to push back. And I keep pushing back. but sometimes he melts my heart and he says, okay, you can see it, why? It's there. Yeah, but you're righteous in my, it's okay, why? It's okay, you can confess it, it's okay. And so once we're willing to look at it square in the face, we're ready to confess it. And confessing our sin is more than saying I'm sorry. Confessing our sin is admitting that we have sinned without blaming without excuse making. Confessing means that I bro- more than I broke the rules, it means knowing that we've offended a holy person. We're confessing before a holy God. Psalm 51 is a model of confession. David realizes that his sin is not just a mistake. It's not just breaking the rules. He says in verse 4, Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil. That doesn't sound right, does it? Wait, wait, you know, wait a minute. What, what, about, what about Bathsheba? What, what about Uriah? Sin is first and foremost against the Holy One. It's first and foremost against a God who is holy. When Israel was rebelling in the wilderness, Moses told him, it's not me that you're murmuring against, it's God. All sin is first before God. And until we're willing to see its personalness, our, our, our repentance doesn't go deep enough. we are just be merely that, sorry that we're caught or that we're not seen as good Christians. David was willing to call sin, sin. He says, watch me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. He recognized that he couldn't hide. He says, "My, my, my, my transgression is ever before me. David knows that his sin deserves judgment. And so he says, you're justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David knows that he's gonna do it again If God doesn't change his heart, and so he says, created me, a clean heart. Confession involves taking the whole blame without justifying ourselves. No excuses. David doesn't make any excuses. He doesn't blame the pressures of work. He doesn't say that the devil made him do it. He doesn't say if you hadn't put Bathsheba out there, if she hadn't been bathing, if I had only gone to war like I should have, all this, no excuses. Repentance fails when we say yes, but. Yes, but. Yes, but I couldn't help it. Yes, but she made me do it. Yes, but if I was only stronger. Yes, but you know my circumstances. Are you willing to say, Lord, you're right. It's me. It's me, oh my, standing in the need of prayer. Mm, that is a hard place to go. So... The first step is to see your sin. The second step is to confess your sin. The third step is to hate your sin. We tend to repeat our sin because we hate ourselves instead of hating our sin. For many of us, repentance means beating ourselves up instead of grieving over our sin. But true repentance involves a process of learning to hate our sin. We see this in David's prayer of confession. David wants to be washed because he feels dirty. He says, purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter in snow. David doesn't want God to see his sin. He hates his sin without hating himself. Hide your face from my sin. Not from me. Blot out my iniquity. Don't blot me out. David knows that he will do it again unless God changes him, so he asked God to create him a new heart. He hates that his sin has caused a breach in the relationship with God, and so he asks God not to cast him from his presence or take his Holy Spirit from him. Do you know that feeling you get when you know that something's not right in the relationship? You kind of make the fake apology, but there's a cloud there because you haven't really come before that other person. That generally our spouse, you know there's a cloud. You, 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 you want to some kind of smooth it all, but there's a cloud. you got to say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. It's just, That's what's going on with David. He wants that cloud removed. Hating our sin means learning to be sorry that we have offended God. Hating our sin starts the grieving process of realizing that our offense is against a gracious God. And our grief turns to sorrow as we realize the length to which God has gone to rescue us. We see the cross, we see what he has done, we see his sacrifice. there's two ways to be sorry. We can be sorry that our sin hurt us, our reputation, our circumstances, or we can be sorry for the damage that our sin has caused in our relationship with God and how much it costs Jesus. One kind of sorrow is called worldly sorrow and is self-centered, while the other is other-centered, is godly. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. When we see that our sin is not an accident, but a byproduct of our very nature, when we see that our sin is not impersonal, but against a holy God, when we see that our sin needs to be cleansed with a scrubbing brush, we begin to hate it. And when we hate it enough, we turn from it and we come home, back to God. And in the last step of repentance, we just turn to God. And when we turn from our sin, we begin to see why God created us. We begin to see that we are not here for ourselves, but that we are here for others. Our heart turns from our self-centered interests to other centered interests, God being first. You see, after the cleansing process, David is renewed and he sees his purpose. Verse 13 says that then, after he's clean and after he returns, he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. We're we're, we're God's ambassadors. We're turning people back to God. That is our whole purpose is restoration, reconciliation with our maker. That's why he left us here. He didn't leave us here just to kind of twiddle our thumbs and tell it's time to go to heaven, but to turn sinners back to God. Sin keeps us self-centered. About me, repentance makes us other-centered. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he, Jesus, died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and who was raised again. David sees his purpose is not only to tell others of the wonderfulness of God, but his purpose is to delight in God. Did you know that our purpose is to enjoy God? Verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness, and my, song, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O oh Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praises. Repentance is about joy. It's not about beating ourselves up and feeling sorry for ourselves, it's about joy in the Lord. It's incredible. David commits adultery, murder, cover-up. He blows up his life. There are serious consequences to what David did. Loss of the child. There's rebellion in his family. His life will never be the same. But God restored the joy of his salvation. God did not take his Holy Spirit from him. The question is, how could God do that? How could God restore a cheating, adulterating, murdering liar? Is there no justice? God could show David grace and mercy because instead of casting David from his present, God cast his very own son from his presence on a cross. Instead of making David pay for his sin, Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. And the amazing thing is David was able to repent of his sin who only knew of the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob to the writing of Moses. How much more should we be able to turn to the God who sent His only Son, we know so much more in progressive revelation of God that He has sent His Son. We know from Scripture that He will never take His Holy Spirit from us if you are in Christ Jesus. We know the length and the height and the breadth and the width. And that's a prayer of Paul's that we would know this precious God whose only concern would be that we would come to Him in repentance. There is joy in the Lord. I know we don't believe that and we're afraid, but he has demonstrated his love for us by sending his only son. How much more could he do? Christian, my brothers and sisters, will you repent? Do you know how to get back home? Do you know how to repent? It's not a heavy burden. It's not a woe is me, it's a great joy. Because we have been blessed with a God of grace and mercy and love. And oh by the way, none of this would be possible without God's Spirit. Repentance begins when the Spirit enables us to see. So we need to pray, we need to cry out to God, God I don't wanna see, help me to see. Show me how each circumstance in my life is designed that I might turn back to you, that I might see. Help me to confess, Jesus. Help me to admit without excuse making. Enable me to hate this thing that blocks my relationship with you. That I might turn to you in joy. You know, this the, the story of David and Bathsheba doesn't end just with the consequences of of, of, of uh, David's sin. Sometimes we think that when we sin, God kind of puts our life on 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 Plan B. But He's got one plan. There, there is no Plan B uh, with, with God. Uh, the, the scriptures in Second in, in Samuel 12 tell us that that David, after the death of of, of the child, that David comforted Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her and she bore a son and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet and said, called him Jedidiah, which means loved of the Lord. And Solomon would go on to build the very temple of God. Isn't that amazing that God God doesn't put you on the back shelf, but even in your mess, God uses that mess to make something glorious in His revelation. And even later, God doesn't hide from this stuff. But we read in Matthew 1, 6, that that, that later on, in in the very genealogy of Jesus, if you were going to pen the genealogy of the God of the universe, would you include this scandal? But the scandal is in here when it says, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. In the very genealogy of our Lord. And I can only say, oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. Let's pray. All right, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your incredible, gracious mercy that never ceases, never ceases to amaze how much you love us, how much you care for us, that you would send your one and only son to die in our place. I pray that you would utilize Psalm 51 to help us to repent, help us to confess, help us to hate our sin, help us to return to you. We were designed by you for you, but our sin has caused us to turn away. But help us, even as you helped Adam and Eve who were hiding, and you gave them proper dress, proper attire, proper covering. I pray that you would cover us even now. If there's people here who are struggling, I pray that they would be able to confess this before you, or maybe a friend, or maybe a pastor here. I pray that we would be open about these things. Why do we hide? Why do we pretend that we got it all together when none of us really does, not before you? So I would pray, Lord Jesus, that you would make us vulnerable, open, real, that you would cover us, that we would receive the righteousness that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for this time, and thank you for your word. In Christ's name I pray, amen.